you know, people are entitled to their sexual proclivities. You know, I mean, let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. You know, but I ain't spending any time on it because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. Yeah, sure. This is a uh, this is a uh, West Bank robbery. We're on episode ten, I believe, uh, or eleven. Uh, it's been a little while. Uh, uh, your host, uh, AP, and uh, and Free Palestine. We were gonna go and uh, uh, go join the Ukrainian volunteer forces, but then uh, Elden Ring came out. Yes, and today we have a very special guest. We are here with Beirut CIA Station Chief James Dahl. Uh, we're here at our favorite pizza restaurant, and um, it's a very secure location. And today we're going to be talking about Yemen. We're going to be talking about Ethiopia. Uh, and why James moved from one settler colony of Canada to the uh, slightly dumber one of Australia. Yeah, yeah, Israel on the, well, not in the Pacific. I'm in, I'm in Israel on the Indian Ocean. I'm on the other side. <laughs> Is it in the Indian Ocean? Is that what they consider yeah, it? It's on both, right? right? Yeah. I'm, in, I'm in the West oh. Coast. Oh, interesting. <laughs> the Indian Ocean went that far. That's, that's good to know. I got Africa in my gun sights across the Indian Ocean there, yeah. So, so from what you're saying is that the UAE, not, uh, you know, after a, a little bit of drone support, uh, well, that was at, uh, around the end of last year, beginning of this year, right? Uh, they they uh, they were involved, and then they've kind of pulled out. They're not super involved there anymore. Yeah, well, it was it was actually like this whole thing started before COVID. I mean, this was 2019. I mean, it's almost three years now. It's kind of crazy. Oh my god! Right, time flies. So uh, it's pretty much a frozen conflict at this point. So uh, the Ethiopian government keeps saying they're going to restart it. They're going to reconquer. They're going to destroy the TPLF and the, the junta as they like to call it's been three years yeah it's almost been three years it's like two and a half years. when did we have you on wasn't yeah. it like three months ago yeah yeah what no that was like almost six months ago now yeah. man I'm losing it man yeah man that's crazy that's insane I've got shell shock yeah, yeah. but uh yeah no it's um it's pretty like a uh, grim situation because they still aren't reopening like aid imports or food or telecommunications or power or anything that's there's still like they is there internet now in the north i think there's like satellite some people have like satellite phones and stuff mm-hmm. um and there's like so broadcast equipment and, and stuff but yeah and i think it's uh i think at one point the government turned like the phones and power back on but just in mechalay like i don't think the rest mm-hmm. of the country still is like like that and then the war is still like going full on in the south. Like, still... What 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 are the battle lines in the south right now? Like, wh- who are the major actors? Have they consolidated? Because like the north, like the TPLF areas, seemed like the biggest hotspot. Well, the um ninety like ninety percent of Oromo live in the countryside. It's a it's a very rural population. Only about ten percent live in the cities, and um and actually the in, in Oromia, the city population. 
like it's it's overwhelmingly aroma, but in the cities, actually the cities are quite Amhara. Mm-hmm. And that's true for most of Ethiopia, right? Yeah. So uh, the urbanites, um, there's a really strict, there's a big divide between the urbanites and the and the rural people. So um, through the war, uh, the OLA, the Aroma Liberation Army, uh, established base areas in the countryside, like in rural Ethiopia, in rural Aromia. And uh, they're never going to dig them all out at this point. There's so many of them because they spent that was that was what they focused on was building base areas all throughout um, Aromia. Mm-hmm. I know that last time we talked, um, as far as war aims were concerned, it seemed very unclear, oh, at yeah. least to me. Well, I think um, um, Tigray are there demands this, at this uh, point decisive knockout blow, but mm-hmm. Ethiopia's too big, right? I mean. It's, they just they you know they got ground down, uh, trying to get to uh, Addis Ababa and ran out of uh, steam basically. Had to had to pull back. Huh. And do you think this is another feint? Are they waiting? Is this like you know yeah, early know. in the war? I mean, so the yeah. I mean, what's really going on now is actually there's there's been attempts at, at negotiations, but um. Uh, there's preconditions, right? It's always down to the preconditions. So um, the Ethiopian government, um, like Abiy's people, they kind of want to just resolve this, but he relies on the support of the really just like, fat, you know, the far right nationalist MR groups mm-hmm. um, for in the military force, basically. And they, they want to annex big chunks of Tigray, uh, ethnically cleanse them, you know, which they, they believe these areas used to have a, an Amhara majority. It is that seems unrealistic to yeah. me, just considering the pace at which the war has gone. That does not seem to be a very realistic endgame scenario. Well, they have they have one of the pieces they want, right? They have, still have Western Tigray, which they're doing their darndest to uh, you know clean out of Tigray and um, and just replace with Amhara from Gondor. Um, and that's that's a sticking point, right? And especially as more and more, you know, settlers move in, it's going to be more and more of a sticking point, right? And that you know, there's you know, there's more and more people that are, you know, it's just basically just trying to. I think at this point they're trying to just change the demographics and then just present it as a fait accompli. Like, look, this is now an Amhara majority area. You guys can't have it. Back. That's not a good way to end a conflict. Generally, how do you? Uh... How do uh, the Aroma feel about uh, like Tigray was allied with uh, with the Aroma right in this uh, in this war against the central government right like now that now that uh, Tigray for the most part has kind of signed a ceasefire with uh, the central government uh, or maybe not signed but uh, but in practice like you know well, uh, had had this ceasefire or whatever uh, 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 how do how does Aromo see that how do they feel about that oh what then is it. And betrayal because I mean for them like the OLA and the the um, like the Aromo uh, Liberation Front had really bad relations with TPLF right I mean TPLF were the ones who uh, drove, them, drove them out of exile after the Civil War because the OLA and the OLF they helped win the Civil War right but um, there were two groups right so there was the Aromo Liberation Front in the south uh, they didn't accomplish much, honestly, during the 70s Civil War. But um, prisoners of war that the TPLF captured from um, the Derg forces, 
they actually uh, made volunteer forces from those forces, and that was OPTO, the Oromo People's Democratic Organization. Mm -hmm. And that was the ruling party that the TPLF set up. So the OLF was like a competitor for their group, which is OPTO. So they got rid of TPLF. They basically forced them into exile, their leadership, uh, who lived in Eritrea uh, after the uh, 90s, I think. And then, um, yeah, like Abiy Ahmed is from OPTO, for instance. Which is funny, I mean, the force that's most trying to destroy Tigray is the force that Tigray created, which is Opto. It's wild. How, how is this, what, what's the state of the Ethiopian economy right now? Like, uh, it's it was not a great. fairly wealthy nation, like, by, yeah. you know, regional standards at the time. Um, Very or, undeveloped. Have things returned to any semblance of normalcy, even with the conflict? Uh, well, large portions of uh, Amhara are just devastated. Mm -hmm. um, like, there's still a lot of um, like damage from the war. Um, I think the dam. There's still the the dispute over the dam with Egypt. They still haven't worked out the uh, the water rights with that. Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess I guess part of what I know that AP wanted to talk about today, in particular, was the Emirati influence in the region. Um, give us a little breakdown of just who the players are here. Well, the Emirates doesn't have much influence in Ethiopia. They're mostly um, they're trying to build kind of a thalassocracy, right? An empire of the sea. I mean, like a Venice, you know. And um, so, yeah, they want they have like a military base in Asab in Eritrea. They have a military base in Berbera in Somaliland. Uh, and uh, they're I think they have they're building a new one. Or at least they have the agreements for it in Puntland, which is another um, quasi-state in Somalia. And um, Somalia is pretty much divided between the northern, like Puntland and Somaliland, which are dominated by the UAE politically, and then uh, the southern, like the federal government, the government of Somalia, which is dominated by the Turks and the Qataris. So... Um, I don't think they have, and they have a, a military base. They're building one in Perim Island in um, in southern uh, Yemen, and they also have a military base on Socotra Island. And through those, and Perim is right in the middle of the Bab el Mandeb, which is a major choke point. Uh, Socotra Island is a very commanding position over, um, you know, the whole entryway to the Red Sea and also the exit. Like it, you can. You can completely dominate that whole position. It's a very strategic point. That was also a point of contention during the uh, United Arab Republics war in Yemen, wasn't it? That was that was one of the well, so, major... well, yeah, so isolated, right? I mean, I mean, I actually think like if one of the scenarios I thought might happen actually is is that the government might, if there was like a Taiwan situation where they lost the entire mainland of Yemen, they might end up just like making kind of a, a, a Taiwan in, in Socotra. I think that would be like the Republic of Yemen. Huh. <laughs> it's an inc it's a small it's island, though. I mean, there's not there's hardly any people there. You can't imagine you can support. Oh, Taiwan like... had almost nobody before uh, the, <laughs> you know, before the nationalist lost. I mean, it went from like less than a million people to like 10 million, you know, pretty quick. Yeah, but there's like only like a like a few thousand people on on Socotra, right? Like... Yeah, and a very interesting uh, place too. Um, so they were uh, Christians. They were um, 
an independent Christian community for uh, more than a thousand years, like fifteen hundred years, and then the Wahhabis uh, landed on the island and uh, drove the population up into the into the mountains, mm-hmm. and uh, and wouldn't let them come down. Like they was going to starve to death until they converted to Islam. Huh. And what year would this be in? Seventeen uh, hundreds. Oh wow! Yeah, and so um, so they did. And uh, the, but that's how that's how the island became uh, Muslim. Before then, they had a very independent community. They were these uh, allegedly converted by Saint Thomas, like personally. I don't know. It's probably not. You know, I don't think there probably was a Saint Thomas. But um, but yeah, they had like a completely different. Uh, they weren't part of any other church. Huh. Yeah, this like completely autonomous community. There's quite a lot of those in the Middle East, those mountain Christian communities. I'm surprised the French didn't hear about this. If they if they held out a while longer, we Yeah, yeah there would have been Lebanon and yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, the um that was like so yeah, apparently according to their uh, history they, they converted to Christianity in I think fifty eighty or something like that. And uh were until the seventeen hundreds. Wow. Huh. So, so in in uh, in Somalia, you have uh, are 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 the north and the south are they are they competing for influence? Is the UAE competing with the Turks there? Yes. So uh, they wanted the whole shebang. They tried to also take uh, um, take over influence over the uh, federal government, uh, but they uh, lost out to the Turks and the the Qataris who managed to uh, force them out. Mm-hmm. Um, though there's a new opportunity now for them because uh, there's now fighting between the president and the prime minister who are both like basically declared each other as illegitimate and the only legitimate representatives of the government. So recently uh, the prime minister ordered the AU, the AMISOM, which is no longer AMISOM, it's some other acronym because they're transitioning out of the country, but uh, ordered him to leave the country and then the president said countermanded that. It was a weird situation where it's like, who's actually in charge of the country? But of course, the answer, who's actually in charge of the country, is Amazon, not not either of the governments of, of Somalia. You know, the reason why it hasn't mattered is that they don't actually have any power. Like they're just an occupation government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think is inevitably this... Shabab's just going to take over the country. That's just that's, that's, uh, that's, that's rough. Yeah, it's going to be like uh, the fall of uh, Kabul. Do I? Kind of uh, related. Uh, uh, Turkey's also been involved in Ethiopia as well, right? I mean, they're. I know their uh, uh, the their drone that they've been using. I know it's also been used in in Ukraine as well. Yeah, they're very. Uh, I've seen a lot of liberals very happy about that. That's a, that thing's gotten awesome. great press. I'm thinking about picking up a few thousand of them, even. Yeah, yeah you know? exactly. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah, this thing is this thing has seen service too in uh, in Ethiopia, right? Uh, uh, is it? Do you know? Is it? Are are they deploying drones? I mean, fighting in the countryside. All I can picture when I when I hear fighting in the countryside, I just picture like American drones like flying nonstop over over. Uh, over Iraq, over uh, over Afghanistan, uh, uh, is that is that what's going on in in southern uh, in southern Ethiopia? Are there uh, are these Turkish or uh, or whatever drones just blow, <laughs> patrolling the skies, blowing people up? Probably not. Um, I think uh, like the the Bayraktar is good. It it performs best when it's fighting like uh, an army with very static 
uh, fighting positions. Like uh, it did so well in Armenia because the Armenians had just dug in into these really fortified positions, but then they just got like you know blown up by like these seed, seed like Israeli seed um, drones and and Bayraktars and stuff that would just bomb the hell out of their fixed fighting positions. You know, I guess and, you know one of the positives from these conflicts is that the Israeli drones have not gotten very good press. The, the Turkish drones are really dominating the news cycle, and I think you know that's something that we can all be thankful for. Yeah. Well, those Israeli drones got some pretty good press in the uh, Azerbaijan war. Yeah, that's uh, last year's news. Yeah, that's exactly. That's, Everybody wants a new hot Turkish. Like, what have you done this, this, this this war stuff is going so quick. Like Jesus Christ, the uh, the Ethiopian war was uh, the talk of the town, and then suddenly everyone shut up about it. And I swear to God, people are already getting a. Uh, uh, Free Palestine, we talked a little bit before this. He doesn't agree with me, but uh, I feel like people are already getting tired of the Ukraine stuff. Like, uh, I mean, I just... <laughs> normal people, I feel like they really, sh- uh, you know, they really shot their load too quick on this one. <laughs> yeah, the, the 1930s vibes are a bit too strong. It's a bit... Uh, oof, I don't like it. I mean... It's just... It's hard when there's nukes, you know? Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, we can go get them, and we are going to stop. And then, like... You know, once you have to get like you 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 get the press all riled up, and then the president has to be like, "We're not gonna end the world. Yeah. We we really don't. Like, we've got like Ukrainians and like ICE facilities now. We're not. Yeah. They're not that big of a deal. We're not gonna end uh, the world for well, this." People didn't you know? think that you know World War Two would start over Danzig, but it did. You know. Yeah, or some you know some mess in the Balkans. I mean, uh, the craziest leaving, thing too about World War Two was that. Uh, like the Danzig ultimatum, like Poland was actually the Nazi ally and had just finished dismembering Czechoslovakia with them. And then the, the Germans turn around and say, okay, so like, you know, the free city of Danzig that you just annexed, so you're not allowed to do that. We, we want it back. And they're like, no, we will die for Danzig. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what worries me. Cause I, re- I've been trying to like read up more on like the, the economic aspects. <laughs> Is what were you that they also worry me too uh but yeah go on yeah <laughs> yeah you know it's just i i i really can't trust li- anything anything i read like bar- barring like a complete just straight up like execution video where you're like yeah that guy definitely died that's really all you can get out of any of this like war coverage generally is that like that guy right there that guy's dead that's all we know about this war right now so I've been trying to just kind of focus on the economic aspects and like the sanctions and that kind of thing to get an idea of what's going on. Cause I don't really think there is a way to know what the fuck's going on. Russia could be in control of the EU right now for all that I'm well, <laughs> for I mean, all that I know. I mean, all you need to really look at is two two indicators, right? I mean the, the Russian stock market hasn't imploded. The Russian ruble is back at pre war levels. And the uh, Russian ground offensive after they got their shit together and stopped fucking around in Chernev and Kiev and actually just, you know, went after their key objectives or just, you know, they're well on their way to encircling the Ukrainian army at this point. Yeah, but but even like with the stock market stuff, I'm... I hope there's no economists listening, but like I'm pretty sure that's all just vibes. That's all crypto, man. That's that's just vibes. I can't really trust that either. I'm looking at like, is there still wheat? Is there still wheat in boats going places? That's, well, I think that's, the, that's basically it. That's my only indicator. Is the wheat boat index? Well, like <laughs> like uh, Russia has lots of wheat. It's uh, it's actually Europe that's not doesn't have any wheat or onions. 
Yeah, yeah, they need that. Onions. Yeah. I haven't read up on the onion index. Yeah, yeah, I don't, and all I don't kinds of stuff. That. I mean, there's, there's a lot of... People forget that, like, Ukraine and Russia provide a lot of the goods that go into Europe, you know? And, yeah. um, and it's interesting, actually, because... Uh, so, Russia... So, there was a lot of concern that, um, like, a lot of the Middle East was really going to suffer from rising wheat prices. Mm-hmm. And so Russia's really done a pretty smart soft power thing. I think they're they're offering really cheap wheat, um, but you have to buy it in rubles. Yeah. And so by doing that, you basically by by buying from rubles, you're supporting you know the Russian government and thus going against the whole Western government. So now all these Middle Eastern countries and African countries have a choice to make of either like a you know sticking with the Western line. And possibly having like bread, you know, riots and and you know them being beheaded in the street, or um, you know aligning with Russian interests and maybe getting sanctioned. Yeah, I I know the Egyptians have already put in some price controls on like wheat and a lot of other major staples, um, but even then, you know, the, the Russians or I guess the Soviets prior um, have generally been pretty good to the middle east in some ways if anything you could accuse them of not doing enough generally so i think there is some good blood they haven't gone out of their way to fuck shit up in the same way that like uh western influence has in the middle east they've just kind of been lazy and a little bit scared i think well i think Um, like europeans aren't taking this seriously enough like i mean you look through history like you want things to get real fast make it too expensive to eat and you'll see shit get real real fast yeah, or even like heating. Like yeah. that's that's pretty real too. Europe's cold. Like yeah, if you're time. like cold and hungry and it's because the government has this stupid fucking policy and it's for like Ukrainian freedom, I mean you're that might last for a little bit, but like after a couple months you're gonna get real tired of that real fast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Or you'll or you'll be convinced weird. that uh, it's time to fight. <laughs> so like in, Get over in, uh, in the Netherlands these these like right wingers are putting like notices on like really expensive food items and saying like you know oh you know expensive you know Slava Ukraine you know glory to Ukraine <laughs> and basically yeah like you should pay more for this cuz like Ukraine yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. That, that line has that's been great. That's out. great. I actually, I love to hear that. Oh my <laughs> like, god! Gas prices in the U.S. That I've seen that line a lot, just from like journalists. It's just like, look, we got to pay more for gas. Consider it a do- donation to killing Russians, you know. And I, I don't think that's gonna work. No, it won't. I don't know. It'll work in like the most demented suburbs of Northern Virginia. That's where we record this podcast. Yeah, but I that's don't it. know if it's working here. People right? are still I mean, complaining yeah. about the gas prices and <laughs> stuff. Like, like I even the most demented sickos out here, like you, you know, the CIA station chiefs here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're uh, even there. They're like, damn, five five bucks a gallon. I mean, the like, Americans I are. Just, I mean, the Democrats are just going to get fucking obliterated in the midterm. If it's just, I think you're gonna lose by like twenty points. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not hopeful for their for their efforts. Yeah. And I could go into the Virginia elections now, but I uh, I'm gonna spare our listeners of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, so in Egypt, uh, in Egypt we have a uh, you know bread, very important. Uh, 
you know, it was now 10 years ago that, uh, you know, the Arab Spring happened. Uh, and, and that was caused primarily by, uh, by bread prices in, in Egypt. And this has been a big point of contention uh, between Ethiopia and Egypt as well. I mean, right, uh, uh, the economic control of the, what is it called, the, the Grand, uh, the dam. Oh, the, uh, the GERD, the Grand Ethiopia Renaissance Dam. Yeah. Yeah, the GERD, uh, uh, and, GERD. <laughs> and the UAE has been involved in, in mediating uh, some of this, right? Uh, yeah. uh, I've read... Because uh, is, um, Egypt is a key ally of the, of the uh, UAE. Yeah. They've, they've sort of like created this little axis of power. Like, uh, it's a weird alliance, too. It's like the Turks, the Qataris, and like kind of the Italians... Uh, facing off against the French, the UAE, the Israelis, and um, kind of the Russians. The Mediterranean is healing. I've been yeah. saying this for a long time. The Mediterranean's <laughs> coming back. Silk Road's coming back. It only That's makes right. sense That's with the right. Mediterranean's right. popping up. Yeah, We're going to yeah. get fucking Carthaginians man. coming back That's soon, right. too. Like, Israel's just going to, you know, Israel's not going to be an issue anymore, That's and right. uh, the Mediterranean so, will heal. You know? crossed out. New name underneath. Yeah, soon we'll just be fighting for Sicily like the old days. Yeah. <laughs> so when uh, when you say Egypt is a key ally of the UAE and and uh, and and Egypt is really being forced to kind of pick a side here. I mean, a lot of the Middle East is being forced to pick a side here. The UAE has already kind of gotten a little tired of the U.S. Uh, it seems right in the last. Uh, the last few years, I know that they've been jerked around a lot on the on the F thirty five. Oh, it's not uh, a matter program. of uh, being tired of the U S. I mean, everybody can see the U S. is going away. Like the U S. is leaving, mm. and they're never coming back, right? Like, um, so everybody's making. You know, the U A. has made their post America plans, right? And they've actually inherited a lot of the U A. Uh, the U S.'s influence in the region. Like they've taken over basically the the former sphere of the U S. in the region. They've just sort of taken it. And they have like their alliance with Egypt. They have their alliance with uh, France, with Israel. Uh, the people that have kind of been left holding the bag are the Saudis, who haven't been as successful, and are now kind of floundering because they, they. I think they were late to realize that the U.S. was leaving and not coming back. Um, well, they're a colony. You know? Yeah. What What can they do otherwise? Like... So they're they're now late in the game. Like they were scrambling. They tried to uh, make uh, Syria, like Assad, Syria. Uh, an ally, um, but you know that didn't go anywhere, and actually the UAE ended up getting that. So the UAE and, and Assad are forming like a strategic alliance. I think Assad. That's a very positive development. I think. Oh yeah, so they're probably gonna. So uh, I think Assad's gonna join that that grouping. You know, the the UAE and the Egyptians with with Syria, which will make it a bit weird with Israel there because I mean, it's the whole yeah. one thing. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah, what the fuck is that? That's not gonna work out. Well, you There's know, Romania, Romania, and, Trump and, uh, and Hungary both joined the Axis, even though they, you know, had the whole issue over Transylvania. Yeah, but there's just like Israel is the single uniting factor from like I don't know from Libya to fucking Turkmenistan, probably. That's like the that's the most uniting factor in the entire middle section of the globe. If you're oh no, that's the know. second most uniting <laughs> faction. First most uniting faction: bags of money. Yes, but 
most people aren't giving bags of money. Yeah, that's true. By, by, Where's my bag of money? Numerical. Exactly. That's the yeah, question people yeah. are asking. I haven't gotten any of that fucking Iraqi that's right. gold. Where's my you know? Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. yeah, so the Saudis, I think they're now, I think, running out of options. Now they're actually trying to. It's funny. I mean, you know, you, you rewind a few years back and they were like threatening to invade and destroy Qatar and going to war with Turkey. And now. They're basically, you know, hat in hand going to the Turks and the Qataris and trying to join that grouping, basically trying to join the sort of Muslim Brotherhood Alliance. Which is and, shocking. Yeah. That's, that's extremely surprising. But they got like nowhere else to go, right? I mean, the, the alternative is, which is the funniest outcome, is them joining the, uh, the uh, Iranian grouping. That, that's not happening. That would be I hilarious. Yeah, yeah, we're converting to Shiism. We are, uh, <laughs> we're going <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're gonna get like a token Shia guy from the northeast, yeah. and they're gonna make him the new king. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just gonna constantly have a like bayonet in his back, making sure that he, <laughs> he keeps up appearances. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think uh, the Saudis are in for a rough time though, because um, I think like, it's done. It's, well, the stability in the, in the kingdom will only last as long as King Salman's alive, and he's very yeah. old and demented and feeble. That country is done. That's not going to be a country. You yeah. can, you can well, put like some the, money on that. The Allegiance Council. So he's like, like it's not supposed to be hereditary, right? It's not a hereditary monarchy. It's an elective monarchy, with yeah. the different branches of the family vote on the next king. The Allegiance Council. Um, but King Salman made it hereditary. He's like, no, it's going to go to my son. You know what the craziest thing about this is? Is that it's all still the sons of uh, Ibn Saud. Like Ibn Saud, like was born in the. What eighteen seventies and his yeah. like youngest kid is is king. That's pretty it's... good as far as kings go. You know he did pretty good. Uh, all the cool kings got shot to death. Um, yeah. I'm not you know I'm not one to praise the Saudis, but they did have one cool king in the seventies, and he was shot to death by his nephew. Oh, King um, Fahd. Yeah, yeah, the, the uh, actual that father of Saad the... Hariri. <laughs> It's cool with the Palestinians, you know, when his nephew shot him, and then they just kind of were like, ah, you know, he had a bad day. You know, he's a depressed kid. He, he, we'll give him insanity, you know. Um, and, you know, since then, it's just kind of been downhill. That country, that, that country's gone. 35 years. Well, I think, like, there's, so my prediction is when, when King Salman dies, um, the Allegiance Council will vote for some other guy to be king. And then King uh, MB, MBS will dissolve the Allegiance Council and make a new Allegiance Council that will, will vote for him to be king. And then just like different regions of the country will like be pledging to this king or that king. And yeah. there'll be new, there'll we're be gonna, new forming Allegiance Councils, making new kings. And we're going to get a great montage of just silenced pistols going off like through, through fancy pillows, just feathers <laughs> flying everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's that? What's yeah. that uh, the the king of the prince of Nepal who like gunned down all of his relatives to become king? Oh, I don't know anything about that. That's how you do it. That's yeah, that's, man. that's how you. Then you can do be it. replaced by uh, various coalitions of Maoist governments, right? That would be uh, the dream. I think we're gonna see a enlightened officers court take over Saudi Arabia. But no, yeah, that's no, probably no. not happening. They killed all those guys very yeah. quickly. <laughs> They had a, they had an like equivalent Nasserist organization, but they were princes. Yeah, yeah, the free um, princes. Yeah, that did not work out. Mm -hmm. Which I could have told you that 
Well, there's one group with uh, there's one group in in Saudi Arabia that's not really a political party, but has a big organizational structure and is very angry at the current state of affairs, which is of course uh, Al Qaeda. Mm. And I think yeah, they're the only I ones. Yeah, that's going to come home some oh, point. Oh yeah, it's going to be major blowback uh, back in the kingdom. You know, it's going to be Grand Mosque Part Two. Saudi you know, 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like a basic question about about KSA, but is it uh is it uh is it like uh I know like the UAE is a vast majority foreign workers, right? Uh but uh is is that similar uh, uh demographics? Yeah. No, in, uh, uh, Saudi, Saudi Arabia has a huge population. This is the thing. Like it's actually um They do have a shit ton of foreign workers though that yeah, do but, everything. But it's not like even the close to the majority, it's not even like it's, it's still a, a distinct minority. Like most Saudis are these like rural kind of traditionalist like Bedouin who are basically just get paid off by the government. Yeah, they get a lot of money every month. Yeah, you know? but like when that dries up, there's going to be problems. And yeah. um, the other thing too is that like so MBS and King Salman they've instituted all these like. Like they instituted like a like a income tax, but without like any Islamic justification. Like they've instituted all these that. new taxes without like any like Sharia justification for them. Which would be easy to do. You know? Yeah, they just, like, they just did pass the laws, but like yeah. yeah, but yeah, that's the thing. You could just get a fig leaf. You could just oh yeah, find some imam that can tell you that oh yeah, due to this hadith from you know It wouldn't be hard. Like the Quran has a ton of you know very explicit <laughs> economic programs in it like yeah. it wouldn't be that hard to do to be like look we got to provide yeah yeah for no, the this community. Is the, we uh, gotta maintain you know, the, stuff i found this guy that said muhammad said this is okay yeah, yeah. but like easy. no they I'll didn't do even it. do that they just like fucking just did it institute like an income tax so like when they're when they're, like the inevitable grand mosque to comes about it's just gonna be nuts like it, like yeah i mean i don't think I think it'll be like it'll start out with like this kind of uh, feud between different branches of the family, and I think it's going to end with basically the Islamic Emirate of of uh, the Arabian Peninsula. I think you're right. Mm. I I hope it doesn't go that mm. way, but we'll see. And then who the fuck knows after that? Iranian intervention and Hassa to save the Shia. And then who the fuck knows? Palestinian king greater Syria with a Palestinian king that extends all the way to the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean <laughs> that's ideal situation or just the Houthis in charge of everything yeah, <laughs> yeah they, could. they could do it They've the, the Rasid dynasty moves back to Mecca where they, from whence they came yeah. and you know they know how to deal with an economic slowdown yeah, you know, yeah they, they, they got drones they got uh, yeah Economic programs, they got everything. F1 cars, they can get yeah, as many yeah. of those as they want, you know. <laughs> to take over the F1 cars, drive them to Mecca. Yeah, yeah, they just got to get a big claw instead of an explosive and just pick that thing up. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, so in uh, in the UAE, uh, the structure of the government is there are it's seven seven emirates. Yeah, so there's there's also a. There's also an entirely decorative parliament mm. uh, of 40 delegates, where it's like uh, eight from Dubai and Abu Dhabi, six from Sharjah, and, um, well, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, but it doesn't do anything. 
It's like it's there to basically make people happy. They're like, look, you've got a parliament, you've got an elected representative. <laughs> you know, but it's like they, they have, have no. A... It has an advisory role. It literally has no power. But the actual right, power fine. is yeah. the Supreme Council, which has eight, um, or sorry, seven seats, and uh, one from each of the Emirates. And uh, Abu Dhabi is the presidency, and uh, Dubai is the vice presidency. I know that, I, like, I've known a lot of people that have worked in Saudi Arabia and have worked in the UAE, and I've never heard of anything positive about Saudi Arabia. Like, my dad was one of those foreign workers, basically, and, like, that he was just stuck there for a while. Um, but everybody I know that's been to the UAE has been pretty happy-ish. One guy I know got arrested there for not taking – he only took the IDs of the guys, not the passports, and he got arrested for that, um, <laughs> which is legal. It's totally legal. Like, you know, it's, it's a terrible story. But like, uh, the yeah, he's different because uh, the seven um, Emirates yeah. in the UAE actually compete against each other for different economic programs. Like every single one of them has like a free economic zone, and they're all trying to like lure companies to go to their economic zone instead of the other ones. Mm -hmm. So because of that, it's not like in, in Saudi Arabia, there's no consequences to you if you're like you know completely mismanage something or you're an asshole or you know it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? You know you don't like it, leave. But in the UAE, if you don't like it, you can just go to the other economic zone. Like, you're tired of Dubai, you can go to Sharjah, who's happy mm -hmm. to have you there. And if you don't like Sharjah, you can just go to fucking, you know, you know the. You can go anywhere. Like, there's all, all of them are trying to do the exact same thing. They're all trying to be Dubai, and they're all got free economic zones and different, like, industrial, you know, special zones and shit like that. So that's the reason why the UAE is, like, better on a lot of this, because. They're all trying to lure different companies and foreign workers and stuff to their emirate. And it's also, they're all trying to kind of sabotage each other. They have basic structural causes for competency, basically, which is important. If you have a king, you need, you need some method of maintaining, like, basic competency. If you have, like, a hereditary system, you know? And they, they have that basic thing, um, which is no help to the million Filipinos and Bangladeshis and stuff, but uh, yeah, you know, hopefully they take power. We get a Filipino king of the Emirates. I think there's only like a million the Emiratis, like total. Yeah, they're nothing, and they all weigh fucking seven hundred pounds. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's a Filipino state. That's it's function. It's it's Greater Philippines. That's that's my plan for the region. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, 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 I've said this for a long time. People won't take me seriously till it happens. They're gonna, they're gonna see some gold-plated Filipino mechs marching through those streets one day. Well, I wonder. <laughs> so, do you know uh, what is the kind of like penetration of groups like uh, uh, kind of like these far-right extreme uh, Islamist groups? Is there any penetration into the foreign worker population? Uh, oh, I have no idea. I mean, I would imagine it would be more like. Hindu extremist groups and like you know the Moro independence movement and like mm -hmm. Duterte like paramilitaries who probably have more numbers. But even then, those people are so poor, and there's so much leverage going against anything as far as political organization. Well, I wonder if you know? uh, I actually don't know. I should have looked this up before the show. If I found out if it's a lot of uh, Muslim Filipinos that are going to. Uh... Uh, going to UAE, I can't imagine. I mean, uh, there's just not that many Muslim Filipinos. Yeah, probably uh, mostly uh, uh, Christian Filipinos and probably Hindu. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, even though there there is a large guest worker like Muslim population as well. But either way, you know, clearly with their you know alliance with Israel, they're not really they're not really that hardcore as far. As, well, uh, it all falls you know, apart. I guess lot, we'll go back you know? to pearl diving and date date harvesting and fishing and stuff. Which are far more respectable ways to build a nation, in my opinion. You know, there'll be like there'll be a date farmer who drives to work in a Ferrari, you know. Yeah, they can stop buying it from Israel and like, you know, it's like this old rusted yeah. up Ferrari that's like drives to the date farm. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they're gonna take them away. It's like guns in a war zone, you know, it's just cheaper to leave them there. Exactly. The Ferraris yeah. and stuff. It's be like, yeah. instead, of, instead of like old fifties cars, all these like old sports cars. Yeah, Bugatti Cuba. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god. Bunch of Filipinos fixing up Bugattis. We have to keep Dubai. We have to keep Dubai pristine exactly as it was in 2006. Uh, it's just so fucked, man. That's, this is terrible. Well, I think things are going to shake up. We're going to see a lot of big shakeups. We're um, living in Lenin's uh, weeks where decades happen. I don't think we're there yet. I think I we're think still, still in the. Decades where, uh, or uh, we're we're still the longer one. Oh right man, now. no, I mean like shit's, shit's going so fast now. It's fucking insane. Like that's how I feel. The entire that's economic system just reoriented for half the planet two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no more global economic system now. There's two systems. Yeah, that just happened. Yeah, there's stuff in in China. So much shit's going on. People didn't even comment on that. It was like you know, oh yeah, that happened. It's it's getting pretty wild. I mean, I know that uh, that Shanghai uh, uh, the COVID cases are are really blowing up, and it really might uh, uh, fuck. Uh, I mean, China's really done an amazing job so far with their zero COVID policy. But I, from what I understand, is that the I mean the the, the new variants are just in, incredibly yeah. effective, uh, and and the Shanghai uh, outbreak is is really bad. Uh, so, I mean, I think that things are just really like, I mean, everything is just hitting the fan. I mean, I hear that, you know, that that uh, that it, there's a, this big outbreak just in the whole, like, kind of Shenzhen zone, uh, 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 Guangdong uh, Bay area. Uh, and it's a huge, I mean, there's a, a, what, like, I don't know, I probably took it up. It's probably 100 million people there. Uh, well, that's just and, I think, um, considering the numbers of people, the outbreak is still pretty small. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100, 120,000 cases. In Shanghai, sounds like a lot until you realize that Shanghai's got like what thirty million people in Metro Shanghai. Yeah, I think we're still in the very early stages of this new wave now, which is such a shame. I like just started feeling like I could maybe leave the house sometime, you know, like go to a thing maybe. But well, that's the policy now in the West is to like, look, you know, we've tried fighting it, we've tried containing it. Let's just accept it. Let's just accept it into our lives. We'll all have COVID. We we'll all have uh, brain damage and vascular problems dude, for the rest of our lives, and dude, that's a small price to pay for the economy. My university just changed the policy. Now it's masks optional, and they just took the flag with like the little ma- or the the poster with the mascot wearing a mask. And now they made two of the mascot. One of them's wearing a mask, and it says "Enter masks optional." Where in like the same very aggressive font that used to say masks required and now it just says optional with like an exclamation point i think eventually it'll be mass banned yeah it'll be mass outlawed like if you're wearing yeah, a mask yeah. and go in it'll rip it off your face yeah what you're not a patriot you're trying to fuck <laughs> yeah. up our economy that's right you're the reason the economy's bad you're, you're your, your masks, masks. 
<laughs> you gotta go. By, you gotta go out. Every we're mandatory raves. Yeah, yeah, man, just yeah get You out have there. to go and spit into your neighbor's mouth. It's man. Yeah, you gotta be taking MDMA. You gotta sweat into everybody around his mouth. It it just has to happen. We gotta get past this thing. It's over. You know, COVID's over. Sweat on your neighbor. It's just yeah. The, the levels of insanity we're reaching about this, uh, I did not foresee. I did not see this this shit coming, man. No, I I really this has really shaken up my worldview a lot. I I had no never would I have guessed that the United States in particular would just completely ignore it and just let it happen. I was just like, oh, they'll they'll do something. There's no way you can just do nothing, right? You can't just do that, right? Like that would be crazy. And then they just did. I was very, yeah. I was... Well, the, the craziest part too. I mean, this is like where they met in Davos. And then they came up with their like living with COVID Davos plan, and then all these governments all instituted the same plan at the same time that all had the same wording across the entire Western world simultaneously. But it's like, oh yeah, no, but that's a crazy conspiracy that they all scheme together in Davos and then you know institute shit that you know that's yeah, only yeah. crazy conspiracy theorists believe that. They're the ones who can get those fucking, uh, I don't know, like the uh, fucking. Not adrenochrome, but you know they've got those. They've got that cell shit they inject you with when you get COVID. That yeah. most it's people just, don't get. It's like, um, like for people who are saying, "Oh, like um, the Great Reset is a conspiracy, like this conspiracy theory," and then you can go to the Davos website. It says the Great Learn about the Great Reset from the Great Reset podcast. Yeah, that's just that's, with Elmo. That's like you know, that's just that's just them rebranding not owning a home (laughs) you know it's not really a grand plan it's just like you're not going to own a home but it's cool it's cool now you get to rent a workspace uh, i mean you're gonna live in a there was a beautiful period where uh you know the first the first world nations allowed their citizenry to be parasites on the rest of the world and and that's that's over i mean the, the rate of profit is just not high enough to sustain that anymore. They're like, all right, sorry, we're the only parasites now. We, <laughs> you can't join us. Get off the boat. One in 50 of you will get to have your own bedroom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of us will get to join the party. We'll, we'll, we bought our Bitcoin. You know what I mean? We bought our Bitcoin in whatever, uh, 20, 2015. We, uh, we, we, our parents passed down a house and we didn't lose it through a tax you know, fuck up or something. And and we made it, but the rest of the rest of us are screwed. <laughs> You're gonna run for the rest of your life. You're gonna be a, a new peasant. Well, you can become a Robocop or a Bitcoin miner. Yeah, Those yeah. are the <laughs> but Yeah, no, it's, I don't think yeah. I mean the limits of, of the US ruling kind of elite to control the course of events, we've seen the limits of that. Um, I guess, yeah. There's, there's not really much administrative uh, muscle left. It's all kind of atrophied. I think. Yeah. And it's I mean, you saw like the wildest thing I remember was uh, during the BLM protests, where um, the protesters actually breached the police line in front of the White House. And at that yeah, point, yeah. like if there had been a Lenin, it just said like, "This fucking take the White House, like take take power, <laughs> do it." But no, they didn't want power. They were still at the end just appealing to authority. They were just asking the, the yeah. mods to do something. Yeah, yeah. You know? you know, I saw some of that. The most radical elements were essentially like 15-year-old kids. Yeah. Just fucking like, pegging shit as hard as they could at like Like White they House put up the security. fence there, the fencing, which have you noticed that fencing is not going away now? It's basically permanent no. fencing around the White House. 
Because so, they're like, oh, okay, no, um, we can't actually protect this anymore. So the longest-running protest in the world is the peace vigil. It's like this tent in front of the White House. If you ever visit D.C., you'll see it. It's, like, right there. And that has been in that spot, protected, like, legally by, like, a court case in, like, 1985. It's been there since, like, 82 or something. And the court case is extremely specific. Like, like you can have, like, one two-by-four holding up an umbrella that has a tarp over it, basically. That's the extent of what's allowed there. And even then, they, put, they pushed my man... Yeah, they pushed him back. Now he's all the way at the fucking end of the street, you know? Like, uh, that thing's not going away. And, like, like uh, I went – I took my cousins to go visit the Capitol one day when they came to the U.S. Um, my cousin almost got shot by a security guard because he didn't take his uh, lighter out of his pocket. <laughs> he went through the thing, and he doesn't speak English. He's just like, what are you talking about, man? Like, why are you yelling at me? What's up with that gun? Um, uh, we got past that. But – uh. Yeah, my dad was driving up, and he's like, what, we can't park in front of the Capitol anymore? Like, last time I came here, like, 1992, I just drove right up to the front door, and we just parked. And uh, it, the, the security state creeping outward is very obvious. The wheels are coming out. I mean, the wildest thing about that, too, was when, like, Trump ordered the military to clear the, the protesters out of the city. And they just said no. Like, the generals are just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And that yeah, day I was like, am I going to wake up tomorrow and, and Mark Milley is going to march up to the podium and say, I am, I am the state? I mean, you know. Like, <laughs> could he do worse? Could, like, he, could he do far. worse? <laughs> what would the changes be? You know what? We don't leave Afghanistan, definitely. Um, but probably no new war, probably. Um, maybe war with China. Definitely. Just the end of human civilization. Nothing big. No big Maybe game. COVID checks. COVID checks yeah, yeah, yeah. or war with China, I think, would be the reasonable <laughs> political differences between a military dictatorship. Uh, yeah. And, man, we really need some fucking Nuremberg trials for the whatever the fuck happened during the cities. Oh, that won't happen. They got the, the Hague Convention Act. They do hold yeah, those. We, uh, we really need the something. We need some reconciliation between what, like, the cops and the federal police did during the protests last summer. Like... That shit got that shit got out of hand. That was two years ago. That what? was two years ago, Free Palestine. I'm still yeah. in jail. I know. That was two years ago. I can't believe it either. Right. Like, oh, wow. oh my god. It's it's, yeah. it's yeah. I mean that's yeah. It's never gonna happen. People, I got hit with a rubber bullet. That was crazy. Yeah. I watched them break a dude's leg. Yeah, you got your ass kicked. Yeah, they beat the shit out of me. And yeah, it was. It was wild. I mean, it was really, it was really, really wild. But it. I mean, that whole thing, very depressing for me. Personally, I saw uh, uh, here in Chicago, I watched uh, these clear infiltrators just lead like thousands of people into this massive kettle. And there was just, there's no real organization at all. And and people are just fucked up. I remember when I was sitting in the cell and they, they packed a dozen of us in. Broke COVID regulations <laughs> when they were arrested us. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I was about to write my congresswoman. I know, <laughs> but, uh, I know. You're like, man, I you couldn't have believe a it. mask. It's like on your chin. Why can't you put that on before you beat my ass, dude? Like, it's, it's basic. <laughs> what are you, a Trumper? Come on. Yeah. I remember, actually, I got arrested on on, uh, on the inauguration protest uh, for Trump, and uh, and there was this young cop there, and he was like, man, I agree with you. I agree with you, but I don't know if this is the right way to do it. <laughs> I was like... Thanks, man. Boy, you are not ready for the CPD. They're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna grind you down. But 
I wonder so where funny. that guy is now. I wonder if he's wearing his mask. I wonder if he uh, uh, protested his vaccination status. Oh man, uh, <laughs> liberal CPD guy is a good, good guy, kind of guy. That's a funny kind of guy. You well, know? we strayed. We strayed pretty far. Uh, uh, from oh yeah, the, from what the were we UAE. talking about? <laughs> let's, uh, get back to the let's get let's let's get back to the fucking. Uh, is straits. there is there any sort of protest movement in the UAE? Is that is that uh, happened? Uh, uh, I I'll be honest, I don't know. Uh, did was the Arab Spring? Did anything happen in uh, in the UAE during that period? I mean, kind of, but the only people that really have like political rights are the Emiratis, who again, there's only a million of them, and they're all like rich and fat, as you mentioned. So, like, I think there were, like, minor protests, but there was, like, maybe some people with, like, sunglasses and designer clothes holding up some signs in front of, like, government building, and that's about it. We need more Filipinos. That's right. We demand more slaves. My family can only afford <laughs> 10 Filipinos. And make my husband pay attention to me instead of harassing Filipinos, please. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't work out. Like, there were very minor movements in all of these Gulf states. Like, I know Qatar, they just shut that shit down, like, Except immediately. Except fucking Bahrain, which was a fucking war, and the Saudis I invaded the down. country. Was that was, no, it did. There was, like, fighting in, like, this, like suburbs of Manama for, like, six months. It was nuts. Like, tons of people got killed. Yeah, yeah, they cleaned that shit up. They did not let that happen. They, they were very <laughs> the other, clear. The other thing that nobody talks about was that, um... Uh, fucking the Saudi military operation in this, the Shia suburb of uh, Damam. Mm-hmm. They just leveled the entire neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. that's what they do there. Every yeah. fucking nobody 30 talks years, about they just go kill a bunch of them. fucking you know? mentioned it, that they did basically like East Aleppo, but nobody cared. Yeah, that, that might as well be Guatemala in the 50s. Like yeah. the Shia areas of Saudi Arabia. You just do, you are not allowed to impact I'm just gonna economic mow that lawn. Yeah. factors there. Yeah, yeah you are not. And yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's grim news. Uh, there has been a ceasefire in Yemen. Yes, right. uh, yeah. So there's actually, a, yeah, they finally. So not only is there a ceasefire, Hadi stepped down. Um, uh, and the VP, or the Prime and the VP that was canned, and uh, yeah, yeah. this has basically been all but removed from power. They only have like one seat on like an eight eight person uh, mm-hmm. council. And so four of the seats are from the uh, Southern Transitional Council. So the UAE has like um, equal negotiating position with the the, the uh, Ansarullah than the Saudis do. And the Saudi-controlled factions, um, there's like a couple tribal sheiks, um, one of which is like represents the GPC and the other one represents Isla, but really they actually only represent their tribes. And then to the uh, uh, Emiratis control the Giants Brigade, don't yes. they? Or is that the Saudis? Well, that's yeah, the military force that the UAE built up to uh, conquer yeah. Yemen and got run down in two different wars. One on the west coast, but then they rebuilt it, and then they moved it to Shabwa for a new the Shabwa offensive to reconquer southern Maghreb and defeat Ansarullah in the in the east. And then that got ground down and just blown up by missiles and drones and and rocket attacks. And that that offensive ended. So, um, I saw somebody asking you earlier this week um, about the possibility of returning to a two Yemen situation. I I don't think that's going to happen personally. I think it's just going to be a end to the war with a unified Yemen left in rubble. Generally, sort of uh, abandoned. No, I think there will be a federation. I think it'll be like Bosnia, sort of. That's better. 
it'll be like a it'll be a Republican service situation where it's like okay you know there's like three presidents there's like <laughs> the president of North Yemen the president of South Yemen and the president of the Federation of North and South Yemen. <laughs> Hey, we are going to get a Lebanon. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Lebanon. We, we need more of them. Why not? You know? But Lebanon everywhere. There's going to be a huge sticking point because the Saudis want to have um, uh, the eastern Pramara. They want to mm-hmm. have that because they want to build a, a, tra- a shipment port, um, port on the Indian Ocean so that they can't get choked off. Um by the Red Sea or by the mm-hmm. um, the Strait of Hormuz, if they want yeah. to go to war with the Iranians, which they do, which um, they do, yeah, and so everybody does. But that's part of South Yemen, which is controlled by the UAE. So yeah. uh, I think they're going to want to have that, and I don't think anybody's going to want to give it to them. Yeah, I don't know that that does that does seem in the Gulf's greater interest, though, and in, you know, to as a work against Yemen's total domination in the event of a, or a, no, Iran just shutting down Gulf economic But the Omanis, uh, the Omanis position themselves, like the Sultan of Oman has always positioned himself as the guarantor of, of Mara and the, mm-hmm. and the Mary people, their rights. So I don't think the, the Saudis are going to face real headwinds trying to like annex that territory, I think. Uh, do you think they would uh, just straight up make it Saudi? I think they're going to try to. They have a big, they're probably the biggest military force there is outside of like, you know, the frontier areas of, of Ansar Allah controlled areas is in Mara. The, you know, and there's been a lot of um, protests and stuff against the uh, Saudi occupation of Mara. And Socotra Island technically belongs to Mara. It's, it was historically part of Mara. Um, so there's going to be real disagreements about the final settlement. I think primarily actually from the coalition side about who, who gets what. Because um, the Saudis have invested so much money into this war and they're going to walk away mm-hmm. with basically nothing. Yeah, you got to give the Saudis something. I don't know what. A movie. They could get some <laughs> yeah, Vietnam-style movies. The UAE, uh, they made one. I, I can't remember what it was called. But uh, you, you guys seen this? No, I haven't even heard of this. They made a movie about uh Yeah, Yemen? it was like about like a uh an Emirati force, I think, uh maybe with the Giants Brigade or something. I watched the trailer a while back. It's like a real high budget, like the guys like narrating over it as they're like driving through like the worst the deepest canyon on earth. <laughs> and uh then, you know, rockets hit the front, rockets hit the back, and he's just like, Fuck man, they hit us. They fucking hit us. We were there to try to help these people, and they, they took us out. No, our, our government never supported us, man. The liberals lost this war, man. You know, we were betrayed. I love that about was, nationalists, where the, the country never fails, it can only be failed. You know, I, like, as a nationalist, I agree entirely. Yeah, that's so funny. You know, the government, you know, your army can never lose, it can only be betrayed, you know. I know it's ridiculous, but I I, I do I, I do firmly believe that in the case of Palestine, you know, I, I I can point to a dozen examples to prove my point. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a counter argument. I can I can kind of relate. You know, I I see. A, 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 I was raised very much as an internationalist, uh, the opposite of a nationalist, but uh, you know, we learned really heavily about how the revolution was betrayed. <laughs> 
yeah. Well, you were you were born. It never, it never failed. There was in nothing case, wrong. wrong. With, yeah, uh, yeah, there was no problems. They didn't they didn't fuck up. No, it was uh, they were betrayed from within by traitors and saboteurs and monkey wrenchers and <laughs> the Trotskyists, the Russians, the goddamn uh, Trotskyists. All of those nationalist myths, they lost on their own merits. They were not betrayed. They, uh, the, they're not, they're, their movements fell from within, purely by their own standards. Palestine betrayed. Uh, Egypt betrayed. Um, uh, U.S., the Union betrayed. Uh, but the South, they lost on their own merits. Right. My right. nationalist work is good. And Argentina betrayed. That was <laughs> I've become an Argentine nationalist. Argentina betrayed by time, really, more than anything. Betrayed uh, by the treacherous sea. No, the Chileans, the Chileans betrayed them. They, they, right. they gave up their South American solidarity to the ally with the English just because the Argentinians were going to massacre and genocide their largest cities. You know, that's that's our that's their conflict. You know, that's between brothers. That's right, exactly. you, know, you can't go to the English for that. <laughs> I just, no. yeah, like, you know, wars <laughs> really are just, you know, all your guys get shot and encircled and run out of ammo. It doesn't matter. There's, you know, they're yeah. betrayed by their, I don't know, getting killed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Ukraine right now. We've got, like, Mariupol, like, this, this like, only a couple hundred guys left at this point. And they're like, you know, oh, the, 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 the betrayal of, of our troops. Like if only we'd been committed to liberate, you know, opening the corridor. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand really the why is the. I mean, maybe you could shed a little light on this because I'm just like I'm looking at this map of Ukraine. Why is the whole Ukrainian army like on? I understand that uh, you know that's where potentially Russia would invade from, but they have they're not invading from there. They're invading from all around. Like why isn't the most of the army moved out of? Uh, out of this clear pocket where they're being encircled. Well, I don't I'll tell you, it's, it's difficult. So if you build, like, entrenched positions, right, and then if you try to move from there, that's where you get killed. Like, you know, the Iraqi mm -hmm. army, like, 90% of their losses uh, when they when they uh, were driven out of Kuwait were getting bombed to hell by the U.S. Yeah. Air Force along the highway. It was just, like, murdering these guys at that point. <sighs> Um, and they but, had thrown away their weapons too. That was a fucking war crime, <laughs> like straight up yeah. highway of death. Yeah, yeah. but and like Call of Duty, fucking flipped that. Uh, but right? Yeah, the Russians, Russians did it. Yeah. That was hilarious. The Russians yeah. did it. <laughs> the yeah. Russians did it. I'm gonna wait. The next video game is gonna be like, oh, the Russians did Vietnam. Yeah, I can't believe the Russians <laughs> invaded Indochina. How dare in they? The seventies. But was, like, yeah, so no, they funded like, both sides. The Wagner Group was on one side invading, and the Soviet Union was on the other side defending. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean the like. I mean, like the the Ukrainian army basically what they wanted to do. So the Ukraine basically precipitated this crisis, right? They they canceled the uh, Minsk II Accords and they attacked LPR and DNR. And um, the reason they did that, they wanted to fight this limited war in Donbass, but they would win. Like, they had all these weapons, and they thought that it would be a repeat of 2014, where the Russians would send a few volunteers, like, do a little bit of, you know, send equipment, but they wouldn't provide any air support to the DNR forces like they did in 2014. And, um, and the, the Ukrainian army had all their forces there, so they would be able to uh, defeat and reconquer Donetsk and Lugansk, right? That was the plan. Uh, it didn't go to plan because, of course, the Russians invaded from all over the place and launched a full-scale offensive, which nobody predicted. 
Yeah, yeah. And who the fuck could have predicted Belarus? Like coming in through Belarus? If you predicted that, you're an idiot. I don't know how you would think that was possible. That's the craziest shit I've ever heard. When Mids Two was canceled, I was like, "This shit's out of my hands. I don't know anything anymore." How? Why would you cancel Mids Two? It was a decent deal. Well, and yeah. also, they, I mean, basically, like the, from the Ukrainian nationals' perspective, Mids Two was—they even referred to it as the end of Ukraine. They called it the end of Ukraine, instituting the Mids Two peace protocol. Because what it meant was that uh, the DNR and the LNR, um, if you wanted to pass like an insane language law, like outlying being Russian, like being Russian's illegal, or like speaking Russian, or you know, you know, not not using the Ukrainian place names, you know, the Brezhnev doctrine. Yeah, that if you did that, then the the DNR and the LNR could say no, and then you couldn't pass that as a national law. You can only pass that as a regional law. Yeah. And they said, well, this would limit our sovereignty over our own country. And so we refused to accept this, this evil treaty of the Minsk too. And so, um, yeah, they ripped it up and they attacked the republics. The day after, the, both the republics signed a mutualist like, defense pact with Russia. And so, I mean, both sides wanted this war, right? They both basically continued to escalate, push, push, push. And the Ukrainians, I think, miscalculated, like, the Russian response. They thought they could get this limited war that they could win. And now they're having this unlimited war. And everybody's, I mean, yeah. And they've been betrayed. They've been betrayed by NATO. Uh... I mean, the reason why NATO's going apeshit over this war is because they encouraged the Ukrainians to start this war. And now they're going to lose Ukraine, basically, because of this war that they precipitated and pushed for and, and orchestrated. And that's why they're so fucking, you know, it's that, you know, the, the meme of the, you know, crying red with rage face guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Man, that... you know, NATO, NATO, I think they're going to be happy. They're, I think they're chilling right now. Oh, no, NATO's is... existence is good for 150 years, you know? People and now have we been rush saying that, but that's not the case. Nobody, losing is never good, right? If you get, if you lose... You get, if you like get outmaneuvered and you fucking lose the war, like nobody likes a loser. Nobody like nobody wants to be like. And also, it really like oh, okay, you made all these security guarantees. You, you promised Ukraine that they would win this limited war, and that it would be a limited war, and that you would force Russia to like not have air support, and you know your guys your guys would have air support, and and that's not what happened. And so your guarantees aren't for shit. You can't dictate the course of events. The way that you promised, and so much, so many people are in NATO precisely because they think that you know one that they don't have any real other choice, and two that like um, they'll always be protected from any consequences of anything they do, and that they can have like a really anti-Russia like bellicose policy, and then it'll never come back to them, right? But yeah, like I was now, some uh, C-SPAN videos um from like the mid 90s basically and like the congressional debates and stuff like about nato expansion and a lot of it was like we gotta you know some of the contesting voices some of which from joe biden even were like look we might not i'm not gonna die for these tiny countries yeah, like, they cannot, what are they at what is moldova adding to nato you know are we really willing to end the world for moldova 
are they strong enough? Is Moldova big? Like they're you know they're tough guys, but like or fucking you know, Estonia's like have... territorial claims on Russia, like they're gonna back them up on those. Like that's that's yeah, not gonna yeah. happen, right? Just stick hey, to the classics. Stick Estonia to Estonia's a classic yeah. sex tourism hotspot. Okay, we need those. Uh, uh, we lost we lost a lot of our colonies in in Southeast Asia. Yeah, we, we need some more sex tourism. That's where Skype is from. Really? Yeah. But, like, you know, the, I mean, the thing is, I think, like, when, I mean, right now, everybody's like, oh, yeah, this is making NATO stronger than ever, and we're all so united, and, but the cracks are visible. I mean, the French are openly negotiating with Putin, trying to come up with their own deal. The Germans are, like, totally wavering. Now they're saying, oh, we're not going to send any weapons, and actually, we're going to pay with rubles after all, and the Hungarians are, like, openly being like, no, fuck you guys, I'm just continuing on business as usual. What the fuck is up with the Hungary? How is that allowed? Like, it's like Turkey. Like, how are you letting, how is this allowed? How is there any sort of cohesive oh, yeah, understanding of reality? Where Turkey closed the straits, that was the best moment ever, where, where NATO asked Turkey to close the straits to Russia, and Turkey just closed the straits to everybody. <laughs> They're like, no, actually, fuck all you people. <laughs> None of you get to use the streets. Turkey's just fucking everybody. They're yeah. like, like, you know, Turkey's fucked up in a billion different ways, but they've really played their hand very well. You oh, know, yeah. like they own Syria. They own like a huge portion of Syria. They're just getting paid by the West every day, billions of dollars. They have a branch of government in the U.S. Like they, you know, they own K Street. Yeah. Like they understand the situation and that the NATO and the West need them way more than they need the West or NATO. Like, they can just do something else. Like, if, if everything goes like, you know, Turkey can go to China. They can go to Russia. They could join the Iranian group. They could do whatever the fuck they want. They have they tons of options. They could Jerusalem and put fucking, you know, Turkey yeah, and yeah, change it back, back to, uh, <laughs> change yeah. it back to Kuz. You know, but it's like, you know, they, they can do what they want, right? They, you know, they're in NATO on their sufferance, right? And I yeah, think, yeah. like, other groups, I think, are going to slowly realize this, that, like, I think Germany thinks that they need America more than America needs Germany, but the inverse is really becoming clear to be the case. And the same with, yeah. like, the French and, you know, I think what's my theory well, is you know, that... If they lose Germany, the, the world's over. Like, I think we're just nukes are flying, you know? No, no, it'll <laughs> just be a slow... I think actually what's going to happen is that the Western European countries are going to slowly leave NATO... Until the only people left are like the UK, America, and all the countries bordering Russia, will be the only people left in NATO. Yeah, we're gonna get a competing set of German central banks, and exactly. you know, we're just gonna get World War One fucking again. Like, but it'll just be like Germany. There should be like Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, and and then like the UK and the US, and that's it. The angle been kind of a, a long time like, coming. The U.S. and the U.K. kind of like really breaking with the continent has has been really a long time coming. I mean, almost I feel like my entire life it's been building. Probably before that, but it's been a, what I've been witnessing. I mean, since uh, 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 Afghanistan, uh, uh, Iraq, uh, uh, and the EU army. Uh, I know I was reading this uh, this uh, Kissinger book about. Uh, about how, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, De Gaulle. Uh, yeah. uh, it was talking about how De Gaulle is trying to break with, uh, with NATO, and this is back in the in the seventies. Uh, he 60s. did break with uh, NATO. He, they left. <laughs> they just. But I mean, back. they were. 
they weren't able to really break uh break France's kind of like a uh, 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 domin- domination by the by the U.S. Well, they have that fucking uh, lawless deep state that basically you know the fucking basically <laughs> yeah, he was a French Nasser, you know. They're right. They're, they're, they're right. The nation was betrayed. You know, yeah. betrayed again. France, <laughs> Egypt, same place in my book. You know, same same trajectory. But I'm looking at like uh, you know in in the 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 late 2000s, uh, early 2010s, uh, uh, France had repeatedly made uh, 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 attempts to uh, to uh, break the U.S. blockade of Iran, right? And uh, and that had been rebuffed a number of times, right? But now you're seeing actually the EU is able to make uh, you know trade deals outside of this started happening about four years ago, I think 2018. I'm trying to remember when the first uh, when they bucked, uh, they made that deal, standalone deal with China, uh, without the U.S. Uh, uh, but that was a number of years ago, and that I felt like was a kind of major sea change uh, when you saw the EU negotiating entirely without the U.S. Uh, yeah, definitely. And especially with, like, Cuba and stuff. Like, that was always, like, a very long-standing crack in the, like, American domination. Well, the French the, election is like, tomorrow, yeah. and Macron's approval rating is dropping like a fucking rock. Like, it skyrocketed up when the war started, but now that, like, a, you know, a baguette costs, like, ten bucks, it's, like, uh, less less popular. Stale ones are cheaper, Jeez. but people will be in the streets, you know? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, do yeah. not want to get smacked on the back of the head with a stale baguette. I've, I've, had, sure. I've been hit with a baguette. It hurts. So, Melon, so of course, everybody's approval rating is dropping except for two people. And guess, two guesses of which, which two people that is. My man, Le Pen and Melanchon, of course. Melanchon Picard. Let's and, go. And the other one, of course, is uh, Le, Le Pen. Le Pen. Yeah. Basically, the right yeah, wing yeah, yeah. versions of, of, like, you know, <laughs> strong, you know, social assistance state. What? But they've got, like, Zamor. What's his name? Zamour? All the fucking left parties in France need to get their shit together. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, look. They did it first, and they showed us how fucked up it could get. And they, you know, <laughs> it's just this is the tradition. It, they, they began the left tradition of fucked up left-wing infighting. Right, there's know? like, how many fucking left parties are there? Just get, just... It's quit it. It's Just pretty based though. <laughs> it's pretty based to watch uh, the French uh, election debates and get like uh, you know three three communists in a row all arguing <laughs> for the abolition of France, and then and then it returns to the liberals, and then on the other side you have like three different Nazis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you have three different kinds of monarchists. They're all they're all going after a different line. You have the Habsburg guys. You got yeah, the Orleanists uh, and the Bonapartists. Yeah. And the... yeah. But like, I'll fuck, take I mean, Bonapartist France. I'll take that. Like if the we right, have a weak Germany. Like the Nazis, they all they all argue with each other, but they all just vote for Le Pen at the end of the day. But the left, no, they're not just all going to vote for Melanchon. They're all just going to vote for their stupid. It would be easy to unite them if they all just aligned with the proper politics of the That's right, right exactly. party. You know? <laughs> they just keep up, uh, you know, they're always sycophants and idealists. You know, all of these liberals and idealists of the different parties need to just align with the pragmatic, proper Marxist approach to politics, That's right. which I have. I've been advocating this for decades. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they should just have like a pre-election, right? You just have like the, you know, the left. All the left parties get together and they all vote on which is the consensus candidate, and then they all just have to vote for that guy. That's not a bad idea. That honestly, yeah, yeah. that's actually really. They should not have a an American-style primary. Uh, <laughs> basically, yeah, it's basically that. Like, you get, there's the left candidate, and you all vote for you know 
Hidalgo and Melanchon and Roussel and Poitou and Arnaud, and then whoever wins is the candidate, and then you all have yeah. to vote for that guy. We just need an international that can last until just after the election. Like, <laughs> exactly. it needs to make it to the election. <laughs> the seventh or eighth or whatever is international at this point. Fourth. Yeah. Fourth. I'm going to – all the other ones after the third other, don't matter the fourth, to me. That fourth doesn't count. This is the actual fourth. No, so. we're on five. Come on. Come on. <laughs> no, no. We're on the 15th fourth international. That's the – this is where I'm, I'm cutting it. You know what? New international. International TM. Trademark. <laughs> Spell it in they should English. Just, uh, just reband. It should just be called the International. Like, we should just forget the numbering scheme and go back to the, you know. International Working Man's uh, Association. Let, let the anarchists back in. Why don't we call it the International? You know? You Why don't we just spell it like that? 2.0. Well, actually, no, the first International was in London. So, uh, so the English spelling is correct. Did yeah, you see that? Uh, did you see that Russians with Attitude Europe. post about how uh, no. the first international was created by a uh, British and French uh, capitalists yes, to destroy yeah. Russia? Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> a fucking fuck? scheme to like make Poland bigger. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the reason behind that post was. It was entirely dominated by like Marx and and a bunch of anarchists arguing over just like. Pointless bullshit. It was actually formed to stop the abolition of the serfs uh, allied with a Polish monarchist. So I'm glad yeah. we cleared that up. Uh, and <laughs> we can all denounce Marx as an anti-Russian. I think uh, if there was another second international, I think they would ever, everybody would agree to declare war on Germany. I think. That I do think unite. it's fun that uh, that so many kind of like traditional Nazi myths are like returning to uh, – to like uh uh this the discourse uh did you watch uh did either of you watch that that uh russian tv show about trotsky uh, uh i watched the trotsky a bit of it. i did i did the one watch where he's that. just like an evil like demon where he's the Jewish evil guy, where he's literally like... the evil demonic jew and they're like yeah. uh where they have a good speech where lenin and him both smile at each other and say we cannot wait to let russia run blood with uh, sorry, Russia run red with the blood of ethnic Russians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we are, are a fifth column. column. We, we are here to enact <laughs> the international well, plot. Did yeah. they really play up like Russia, like Lenin's uh, like Tatar ancestry? Like he, he, they straight up say we cannot wait to kill ethnic Russians. They say it multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> Blonder and blue-eyed the better. <laughs> Round them up. We yeah. are here to prevent fascist Russia. I love how Trotsky is fucking every single woman in that show. So it is very historically accurate. Uh, no, yeah, do you remember how wild that was when, like, the, the refugee crisis with the, with Ukraine started, and all these commenters were like, "No, no, these are the good refugees. They're they're white and they have like blue eyes and blonde hair. They look like us." Did you see though? There was a there was an article in the New York Times though that came out uh, today or, or yesterday that was about how uh, the Ukrainian refugees are sitting in these uh, ice camps right next to the uh, all the South American refugees that uh, that we've been hearing about so much. And it's there. There is no exception. They're sitting twenty five uh, twenty five person cells, uh, no windows, uh, fucking tin blankets, like. <laughs> They have their own all the cell bullshit. Blocks, <laughs> I read this article and they were like, across the street from the holding cell was a restaurant with a covered in Ukrainian flags. Like, that's the per- that's, that's America. 
For, you can't yeah. make this shit up sometimes. Yeah, that that is great though that like they're not racist. They're just they hate all immigrants, all refugees equally. <laughs> <laughs> Much more ideologically consistent than the Polish government, at least. Trying to get something for free? Fuck you. You know what? I think this is probably a pretty good place to call it. We've covered the entire globe, and I think we've really figured out what's going on, and none of it is good. (laughs) All right, guys. Um, So this has been episode 542 of West Bank Robbery, uh, filmed and recorded in a cell below Langley, Virginia. Um, thank you, James. Uh, really appreciate it. People follow James Dahl on Twitter for his occasional posts. Um, we're really just working our way up the Warner ladder here. Once we get James, we're going to get uh, another CIA station chief. <laughs> All, right. All right. Either way, my name is Free Palestine. My co-host is AP. Thank you to James Dahl for coming on. Yes, thank to you us. so much, James. Uh, uh, this was really great. Learned a lot. Yeah, thanks, yeah. And I hope our, uh, you know, our listeners learned a little bit too. Yep. And uh, Free Palestine. Fuck the Free police. Palestine. That's a wrap. <laughs>